I think one of the most important thing is to get others involved in that decision-making process. A super looks at a project a different way than a PM does. A PM looks at a project a different way than an MEP coordinator. So you want to get all those different perspectives. Um, I made that mistake early on rolling out something that didn't really work for the field. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with the mission to propel this great industry forward. I'm joined today by Jeevan Calienti, CEO and co-founder of OpenSpace and Adam Satino, Solutions Engineer Manager. Jeevan sold his first company, Siftio, to 3D Robotics, where he eventually became the president. 3DR partnered with Autodesk to launch SiteScan, a tool for documenting and analyzing job sites. Jeevan was most recently an entrepreneur in residence at Lux Capital, and he holds a BS from Stanford and an MS from MIT, where he was a National Science Foundation graduate fellow. Adam has been in the AEC industry for 17 years. He spent seven years in design as an architect and the last 10 years in construction as director of VDC. His passion for identifying where technology can improve how we design and build has led him to the tech world at OpenSpace. Welcome to the show, Jeevan and Adam. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, I always like to start out with hearing kind of your your backstory on, on how you got into the industry to begin with. Cool, Adam, do you want to go first? Yours is more interesting sure. than mine. I'll go first. I guess uh, my question was how far do you want to go back? Because my, my mom would claim it's when she was pregnant with me because we were building our house. But I don't think you want to go that far back. So <laughs> um, I went to undergrad for business school and then didn't really have any jobs I, I liked after that. And I always, when I questioned what I wanted to do, it always went back to, I did a lot of drafting classes in high school and learned AutoCAD on AutoCAD version 12 and 13. And I always really enjoyed that. So I ended up going back to architecture school. I got my master's. I did architecture for about seven years, helped roll out Revit at two architectural firms. And that's kind of where I did my toes more into the more advanced technology. And then I made my switch over to construction as assistant PM. And after about a year, I got a call from my previous boss and uh, he asked, do you want to be the BIM guy? And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, I don't know. Do you want to figure it out? So I'm like, sure. So that was the evolution of the VDC department there. And for the last eight, nine years, I've been working on developing that department and rolling out all the new technology. And uh, it's been a great time doing it. And uh, recently decided to make the move over here to the tech side with OpenSpace. Nice. So you've had a pretty good cross-section then of yep. AC, <laughs> a little bit of everything <laughs> there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and as for me, um, I studied a variety of different things in, in undergrad and then in grad school, um, most notably artificial intelligence. And then um, I got my start in technology, started a company with a friend of mine, a grad school friend of mine, um, right after we finished our degrees and then that went well. That was a hardware a company where we, where we manufactured stuff, um, venture-backed technology company. And we were fortunate enough to sell the company and get acquired. And at the acquiring company, I got into the world of construction and real estate development where we built a product in partnership with Autodesk um, that was a site scanning tool that, that used a drone, it's called SiteScan. And I really fell in love with it, uh, both from the technology side, really from the customer and user side. A lot of my own scar tissue comes from trying to build physical stuff in factories, and that's tough, but construction is about 100 times tougher. So I um, ended up president of that company, 
And then after I left, took six months off, joined a venture fund called Lux Capital as a so-called entrepreneur in residence, and then reconnect with a couple of other friends of mine from uh, the media lab at MIT where I went to grad school. And they both did computer vision and um, went off and started companies of their own. Um, and Mike, one of my co-founders, sold his company to Twitter, did his tour of duty at Twitter and gave me a call one day with a project he was working on. And listened to it. I was like, you know, could really use this, Mike, is people that build buildings. And so we uh, bootstrapped the company for a while, then realized we're onto something. And um, working with a lot of GCs and owners, since I had a lot of those past relationships from my prior company. And when we thought we were onto something, we decided to give it a real go and started Open Space back in 2017. Nice. What was kind of one of the main aha moments for creating Open Space? Well, you know, prior to open space, um, it was pretty obvious to me that a picture is worth a thousand words. I'm not really breaking any news. Everybody understands that. But uh, I think it's very, very true for anybody that works in real physical reality. Um, the, the system of record should be based on what's out there in reality. You know, uh, documents and drawings are great, but they don't represent the actual work being done. And so... Um, uh, 3D Robotics, the company that acquired my first company, you know, we built a drone-based tool and and uh, there was a lot of neat, fancy things it did. But ultimately, when it really came down to it, what the superintendents like, people on the field, is like, okay, now I know what's going on. I can just look and see from anywhere what's going on and me and my teams can like align on reality. So the fighting and back and forth just goes down when you can just reference what's really there. And so that thought was kind of in my mind with open space. Um, with open space, we had the opportunity to build a technology company from the ground up around that observation, um, as opposed to kind of shoehorning a technology into it, which we did at the prior company, which worked. You know, drone solutions are, are valuable for sure, but they don't necessarily cover as much ground really as, as what we do here. So that was a big deal. And then um, really we had a huge aha moment in the bootstrapping phase of the company where we we pride ourselves in simplicity and ease of use here. We think that's the main thing that's made us successful so far, but you never really know how simple, simple needs to be until you're really out there with the customer. And I can remember going over an early prototype of open space with, with a PM, uh, Nick Mirkovich, great guy, uh, West Builders. And, you know, he saw what we did and he had a lot of positive things to say about it. But when he found out how long it took to use for that first iteration, he was really blunt. He was like, it's a cool idea, Jeevan, but there's no way in hell we're going to use it. And I was like, okay. He's like, yeah, I mean, you're here all the time. Like, who here has the amount of time to go and take all these photos like we did with the early prototype? And he was totally right. And then he gave us the idea. He was like, you know, what I would do is if I could just walk the job, I walk the job anyways, and my my guys do it. If um, So a little background on open, open space works is you walk a project, you take a little 360 camera, these are consumer products, you can buy them anywhere along for the ride. And then as a byproduct of walking the job, we take all the video taken and, and convert that into a into something like Google Street View where you can kind of see what's there without literally being there. Yeah, so Nick gave us that aha moment. He basically told us exactly what we needed to build. Now we were pretty sure that was the right direction for the company, but hearing from the user and the customer directly it was like all the confirmation we needed. And so, yeah. That was that was the big okay. We know what we need to do. Here's a problem we need to solve. Let's go off and do it. Yeah, I, I love that that 
that kind of grounded in the the practical reality of what's actually happening on the job site. And then you said a, a line that was really good uh, on, you don't know how simple simple needs to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's great. It, I think that's, it's so easy to think you have a simple idea, but still kind of overcomplicate it and just kind of, it's, it's hard to take the time to really strip away of like, what is the kind of bare minimum that really needs to happen to get somebody to actually take action on it? Yeah, it, it sounds kind of silly, but being on the side of construction with guys in the field, it sounds silly, but five clicks could really, versus two clicks could really be that difference in adoption. So it really does have yeah. to be simple for guys to use it out there. And I mean, they stumbled on something great because progress photos is a pain point for every single project out there. You know, everybody has a camera in their pocket now and they can take hundreds and thousands of photos, but then you got to manage those. You can never go back and find them. I could take a hundred photos in this room, small room. I guarantee the one photo I need, I'm not going to be able to find at the time that I need it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how I want to kind of zero in on some innovation and in, in culture to help kind of ground the, the conversation. How do you transition a culture from one of having, you know, a, maybe a dedicated resource to innovation or maybe even a small team that's really geared on kind of simplifying and, and innovating to one that the culture relies really on everybody to make innovation happen? Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, I think one of the most important thing is to get others involved in that decision-making process. A super looks at a project a different way than a PM does. A PM looks at a project a different way than an MEP coordinator. So you want to get all those different perspectives. Um, I made that mistake early on, rolling out something that didn't really work for the field. And everybody got angry. So I started bringing in more people for their feedback. And it actually helps with that adoption down the road as well. If people were involved with that process, they're more likely to buy into it. They're more likely to use it out in the field. Um, that, that's one thing. The other, you really need that executive buy-in. Um, this may have to start at the grassroots, but of course they have the checkbook, so they're going to buy that software. But also if the messaging is coming from the top down, then that's going to help that, that culture spread. And I really lucked out with that because uh, when my position was created, I already had that executive buy-in because they realized they were falling behind the competition with the technology that we weren't using. So everything that you know I brought forward that had some value, I could go out and purchase. Um, and then another thing is choose tools that are easy to use and provide a lot of value. If it's not easy to use, they're not going to use it and you're not going to see that value. Um, and if you're bringing tools that the field teams are getting value from, they're going to be invested. They're going to want more of those tools. They're going to get hooked and be asking you for more and start to identify those opportunities out there where there may be a technology that can help out. Um, and one of the mm -hmm. biggest things I'd say is education, education, education. If, uh, you know, you can have a toolbox full of technology, but if people don't know what it can do and the value it can bring and when they should use it, um, it's not going to get the use and you're not going to get that culture of using technology in the field. Um, and we used to <clears throat> do, um, do this by doing a VDC 101 because it's really, you know, the people in the field, they're going to identify where this stuff is used. So they really need to know how it can be used, the value it can bring and give them those examples where you know, super ABC on project XYZ saw the value of laser scanning or, you know, this project, here's a use case of where they saved a ton of money with open space. Uh, so those are really the, the factors that I 
I consider of how to get that culture going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would jump in from my side, which is more from the the other side, uh, just with the addendum, is I think it's incumbent upon us as as people that create these systems again, just to make them easy, like make it easy on your would be customer to give your technology a shot and see if it provides value. If you're going to make them jump through a million hoops, um, then you're not going to be successful, you know? Um, and the thing I would add is to the best of your ability, um, try to identify opportunities to work with not just innovation teams, but the, the people that are actually going to use the technology. And that depends on what you're bringing to the table. But if it's a field tool, like work directly with the PM, see if they, they buy into it. Because ultimately those are the PMs or PEs or, or supers or whoever it happens to be that happens to be uh, what, who you think your user is going to be. Ultimately, it's whether you're providing value to them, that'll be the difference between whether you have the product market fit that you're seeking or not. Hey, innovators. Is there a way to prepare your company for successful implementation of technological innovation? After over 115 episodes talking with some of the best minds in the construction industry, the answer is a resounding yes. There are building blocks that you can put into place that will form the foundation for your company to successfully implement technology. I have compiled my thoughts from those conversations into a new ebook simply titled Foundational Building Blocks for Successful Tech Adoption. You can download the ebook for free at our website, bridgingthegappod.com. After you have, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's kind of incumbent on the industry then too to set aside some kind of white space for people to innovate outside of their their normal kind of day-to-day -day task and operations? Yeah, I'll give one quick answer. I'm kind of curious what Adam thinks about that. To me, um, I would never want to start a company that relied on that sort of thing to exist. And the reason is um, it's just very risky as to whether that group will accurately represent the needs and pain points of the of the company that they're in. By the way, it's not because those people are unable to do that. It's just like always going to be a little gap between people that are trying something new and people that are actually like doing the thing that makes that company money. So for general contractor building buildings on time and under budget. So for me, uh, I always look to see um, to work again, not just exclusive with innovation groups with, with others. Um, and if I'm working exclusively with an innovation group, I always have a little discount in my mind. If they're happy with it, that's good, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we've hit pay dirt. Um, but I think it's an important question because there are legitimately some things that could really improve how we do things that just require more study and more effort than an innovation group can provide that, you know, your operational teams may not have time to do. So I don't know. I, I really would massively defer to Adam on this question. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I said you got to get the other people involved. Everybody looks at a project a different way and what's going to be useful to them is different than what's going to be useful. You know, what's going to be useful to a superintendent might not be so useful to a PM. 
Um, so you, you do really need to get all the perspectives. I, I was a VDC guy. I love technology. I'm obviously going to be interested in pushing this stuff and seeing where we can use it. Um, but you know, you do need that other perspective of where, okay, what's reality here? How is this going to be used in the field? Is it really going to be used this way or is it not? Um, and is this simple enough to further people in the field to use? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm more than agree. I mean, this is not a knock on innovation teams because I think they serve a really valuable function. But I, I think people need to do a better job of really democratizing innovation. Innovation should not just be left to the a specific team. It should be really kind of on everybody's job to seek and look and be empowered to find those kind of even 1% small improvements that they can make and bubble those up to the top so that you're getting those different perspectives from all facets and all vantage points. Cause that's when you really get the full picture. If not, you're just operating in a silo. Yeah. You know, when I've seen them work well, it really depends on the implementation. And so outside of construction, you know, there are these innovation teams at basically every large company and um, they've structured in various ways where I've seen it successful there, but also in construction is when you have innovation teams that do a good job of, of having a really deep relationship with the rest of the company, right? Sometimes that means that the innovation teams are not permanent. It's not your permanent job, but you're like, people cycle into the innovation team, right? And they spend, they do a tour of duty there. Uh, and then they go back to their sort of like, normal job but that way there's a lot of cross-pollination cross-pollination and for and um idea exchange where the innovation team is an effort is really tied intimately with the main line of the business but there's still that space for exploring new ideas or an alternative is where you have a project where for whatever reason that's kind of the innovation project this is i think pretty common um and you get to try new things on it and there's permission to do that and you're doing it though with the people that, um, whose role it is to you know erect the building, and they'll move on to the next project maybe with some new ideas and lessons learned, such that the innovation group isn't like siloed off somewhere. Um, these are structures that I've seen work pretty well from my vantage point. Yeah, and we were actually starting that rotation phase right before I left. We were going to start bringing people in and rotating through the VDC department. Um, we actually just brought somebody in and then COVID hit. We had to move to back to being an APM, uh, but we were just getting back in the mode of doing that again. That's valuable, but there's also, I would also, I, didn't, I had my champions out there, right? So I knew the guys who were willing to try technology and use it. And those are, as Jeevan said, it might be a team or a project you wanna focus on, if you're going to do that, you got to make sure some of those champions are on that project or all the efforts, the pilot, all the efforts to go in and try this tool is just going to go to waste because they're not going to use it. So you, you have to identify those champions and make sure to be successful, you know, testing out the tool out in the field and to get the results that you were thinking you might get mm -hmm. or not. Get. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I, I like the, the rotation idea to continuously kind of inject a new blood and, and getting those fresh perspectives. I think that's a great idea. Um, well, what do you think are some of the, the challenges to make technology work well in construction that you guys have found? My biggest one was adoption. If people don't adopt it, they're not going to use it and you're not going to realize the value of the tool. Um, and there could be a few reasons that that was happening. And we've, we've talked about a couple of them. 
It could be that the technology is too complicated uh, or it just doesn't work as promised. And then people just get frustrated. They toss it to the side. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, a great example of that was is uh, it's very common these days for everybody to have drawings on their mobile devices, right? But it wasn't too long ago, I was fighting, pushing the supers, pushing the PMs to use these devices. And, and the super would be like, I like my paper drawings. It's kind of like everybody likes a newspaper, right? I, I get that aspect, the physical. It's like, all right, how do you keep those up to date? They print out the, the, the RFIs, they print out um, you know, the sketches, they tape them to the back of the drawing. So most of the time it's lagging because no one has time to do that. So it's outdated. And then I would ask the question, okay, you're up on level six. How long does it take you to walk that half mile back to the trailer to look at the drawings? I'm like, well, it takes me about 20 minutes. Okay. And then you get stopped, you know, five or 10 times on the way with questions. <clears throat> so poking those holes gets them to adopt it. And then it wasn't too soon after that that I walk into a trailer and there's a big arrow pointing at the drawing set saying outdated, don't use, with an arrow pointing to the iPad connected to the to the TV on the wall, use this instead. So it, it you know, once you had that small win, it kind of snowballed into the bigger win and got everybody adopted. Um, so it it could just that adoption hindrance could be the technology is too complicated. Um, it could be the people, you know, like I said, there's the the people are always going to try out um, technology. There are going to be people on the fence, and there are going to be people who just don't want to learn it. They don't want to try it. They don't want to deal with it. Um, maybe they had a bad experience with technology. Uh, maybe they have technology fatigue. There's been a lot of tools that have come out the last few years and people are just tired of learning something new. And then back to education it could just be a lack of education. You know, they don't know what the tool can do and they don't know what the value can bring. Um, so if you're not going to get the adoption, you really got to dig into why, because if you don't have that adoption, you're not going to see the value and then it's not going to, you know, get the use that you were hoping it was. Mm. Yeah, I think the the education component, I add messaging to that as well, too. And what I mean by that is I think you get somebody that's excited for a new piece of tech and they're seeing it from kind of their vantage point and the, the benefits that they're seeing. But when they go to talk to the other stakeholders and people involved in having to implement it, they're just saying it from their perspective point of view and not relating it back to how it's beneficial to somebody else and, and their job. And so they're not getting that, that buying. Cause they're like, okay, well, great. It's, it's a cool piece of tech for you, but it's just adding more work to my plate. And they're not getting the connection of, well, actually this would be beneficial to you as well. Just nobody's really delivering that message. Yep. And that was the purpose behind those VDC one-on-ones to get that education the and the messaging you have to have those aha moments. You know, if you don't have those aha moments, they don't, then they don't realize the value. And, you know, the tools that are easier and simpler, you get those aha moments a lot quicker. And the tools that are a little more complicated might take a little longer, but you'll eventually get there if you keep that messaging out there. Yeah. Well, shifting gears, I'd love to dive into industrialized construction and kind of unpack that for our remaining time here. But Let's start by kind of defining the terms. It means something a little bit different to everybody. Would love to hear how you guys define industrialized construction. Yeah, I can I can tackle that one. I think a lot of people just think of it as oh, it's just like prefab and modular with a new name. Um, and you know, I think there's some truth to that. But when I think about the term um, 
I think of it a little bit broader than that. Like, what is the inspiration behind prefab and modular? It's to bring the efficiencies that you have, that you see in, in manufacturing to construction. And so prefab and modular capture part of that in the sense that your goal is to produce stuff, right? in a repeatable controlled environment and that you'll be more efficient if you do. But there's also things that, you know, I've lived myself that can be benefits from manufacturing, which have to do with visibility. Um, like you can more easily observe things in an industrialized or manufacturing setting than you can in a construction, which allows you to have a system of record and make decisions to optimize or fix things um, more quickly. Um, without having things to like go up a 30 day chain of back and forth of decisions and verifications and things like that. Um, so, I mean, a lot of reasons why open space exists is that theory of manufacturing is nice. It's not always true. Like when you're manufacturing something, knowing what's going on in the factory can be quite challenging, right? Uh, but if you have like a video camera or images, then you can get stuff done even if the factory is like 6,000 miles away. And construction has the same problem. What is actually going on on the project? So um, I think prefab and modular is part of industrialized construction, but I think the other is how do we bring tools and processes um, to a project that, number one, enable us to even know what's going on there. And then if we do know what's going on there, um, we can start making decisions that have the flavor of what goes on in a factory as opposed to a construction site. Yeah, nice. Well, what do you think the the potential then of IC is and maybe some of the hurdles that could hinder that potential? Yeah, I mean, I'll give my answer and then I, I'd love to hear what Adam thinks. I think for me is a couple of things I think are important to observe or, or, or I would, my, my take anyways, um, you know, um, we've all seen that graph of, of, uh, productivity going up and up and up in other sectors and construction kind of, you know, just flat, almost goes down what's happening. Right. And that has much ink has been spilled on like figuring that out. Um, and um, I think there's a variety of things we need to do to, to inflect that graph up. Um, I think the first challenge is to recognize that construction is not manufacturing. There are just things that are different about it at a fairly fundamental level. So importing processes kind of wholesale probably won't work. Mm -hmm. And there could be some, some big failures if you try to do that. Um, you know, I think um, Katera is like an example of that. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Katera didn't work. And I think probably a lot of things that they were doing that were smart. Um, but certainly um, one could theorize that a very wholesale approach of just importing a manufacturing mentality into construction was, was maybe not the best approach. So I think it's all about noticing specific things and applying them in, in clever and wise ways. So for us, I think um, applying the benefits of visibility um, to construction is something that we can do. I mean, that's one of the things open space does, right? Is we make what was not recorded and invisible before, visible and easy to access. And those allow you to do certain manufacturing things. 
um, like identify problems quickly and measure them and move on. So yeah, I think I think that's how I would, I would think about it. The benefits are that you you can start to operate in a more efficient way. Um, but the the challenges are really about not thinking of it as some silver bullet or something that that um, you can just sort of cut and paste from manufacturing to construction and expect it'll all work. But you know, I, I would really be curious to get Adam's take on this. Yeah, I, I don't think I can count how many times I've seen that graph brought up in a presentation, and which <laughs> which drives me crazy every single time. They neglect to mention that it's not the same. The building industry and the construction industry is not the same as manufacturing. Every single building is a prototype. You're not building the same thing over and over. Prefab's awesome, great. You can build in, you know, control conditions. Modular is also good. It makes things easier. But even with those, you still have different sites. You have different soil conditions. You have different uh, site constraints. You have different project requirements. So every project is a prototype. And I was actually looking at that graph recently, and I noticed that it started to dip down in 2010 um, when all this technology started to be introduced. So my, my kind of current theory right now is that that was where a lot of the technology started to be introduced in construction, that dip is people learning it, right? They're not being as efficient because they're learning those technologies and learning what it can do. And the problem now is we've been so good at collecting information and sending information along now we're buried by the information, right? So the next step is sort of, you know, what our core product does with the progress tracking, giving information when you need it and making it easy to find. And then with our progress tracking tool, automated, automating progress tracking off of those photos. So now we're creating tools to take all that information and make better sense of it so people can make decisions quicker and they have that right information at the time they need it without all that extra effort. So I don't think we can really make it a production line like uh, manufacturing, but we can work on the processes and the workflows. And if we can improve those a bit, people can concentrate on other things that will make a bigger impact as well. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, those are some some really great points. Uh, so in light of that, how do you really then empower and then bring the digital tools to the field and the physical space that is construction? Um, so I think it goes back to those champions. You know, you, you start with them, you get them out in the field, you, you find a new tool, you pick their brand, will it work? If they agree, you purchase it, get them to try it out on a project and get those small wins, like I said, because those small wins will turn into bigger wins because then you can share that information with the other teams, see where it's getting the value. Then hopefully there's a champion there that tries it out. And I'm telling you, once you solve one problem for a super or one problem for a PM, they keep coming back for more. If you're wrong once, <laughs> it goes the opposite direction. So you want to make sure you do it the right way. Um, and then again, it goes back to that education, uh, planting those seeds and you know cultivating them and do the messaging like you were 
you said earlier, get the message out there and just keep pinging them and pinging them and pinging them because they forget really quick. They need to hear it and see it three or four times. And the training also in the education has to be at the right time too, because if they're not going to use it right away, they're going to forget about it. Um, so mm -hmm. you need to keep that up and it's easy yeah. to fall behind. Them. Totally agree with that. And I think again, um, just making it easy, making it simple. Um, can you give something to someone that doesn't really require them to like learn that much is familiar to them in some way is a piece of gear that they already want or already understand is not something they're afraid that they're going to break or like it'll get messed up or in some way. Um, I think those are all things because basically lowering the cost to trying something is something that's pretty important. I think from a, from the point of view of trying to create these solutions, there's a, there's another, uh, term that that people use um like vcs use this and technology people use it product people it's called time to value it's a pretty simple idea it's like how much time elapses between you trying something to you feeling like you've gotten value out of it really making that as short as possible is is very a very good thing to do um some things have a very very short time to value like um, food, you know, like you're hungry, you eat the food, it hits your mouth, you're like, great, got it, love it, right? Implementing a new ERP system could have a really long time to value. Sometimes it's infinite and you're like, why did we buy this stupid piece of software? <laughs> um, so uh, I think uh, that's another thing I, when you're trying to bring things to, the, to projects is it's hard to predict, right? You can't necessarily guarantee that time to value will be exactly X minutes or X days, but it, your your tool could have some features to it that that lend it to a short time to value. And that's something we focus on a lot here. At Open Space 2, we can't predict when that that uh, controversial change order will happen that we can help solve. Um, but we do know that there's lots of little wins that just happen when there's a tool like ours and we can get those aha moments in the customer's hands that we can feel um, pretty comfortable. They won't be waiting too long to have that moment. And that's how you, that's how Adam was talking about champions, people that like to try new things. Um, I like to think of us creating champions. You know, if you can bring something to a project uh, and take someone who was skeptical and then they're like, dude, this thing is great. Like, do not take it away from me. Then you almost have created a champion who may be willing to try other things now that they've had that kind of eureka moment themselves. Those are the best wins. The one who fought you the entire time, didn't want to try, didn't want to try it. And then they have that aha moment and it all becomes, and then they, they're in love with it. Those are the, those are real valuable wins. But to one of the things that Jeevan said, that's one of the reasons I came here. I, I researched, I looked at, I used technology for a long time, and, but I felt a lot of software companies do. They create those, the bells and whistles and the fancy things and, the, and all those advanced features to sell the product right away. But then when you get into it, the core functionality doesn't work that well. So you can't get to those other tools. I had an example where we, we switched to a different uh, project management and documentation control tool that also had QAQC issue tracking. And we went from something that was great with the documentation and plans to this where the library wasn't as good and people just threw it aside. So I can never get to that next QAQC level that we wanted to get to because everybody touches the drawings, right? And they would just throw it aside. Here, we've gone the opposite direction where the core product is so simple and easy to use. It's easy to get that adoption. 
And now we can build this stuff like progress tracking on top of it and more tools, you know, coming down the road. Uh, and it'll be easier to get that adoption because the core product works as we promised and it works well. So then, you know, we can build on top of that. Uh, it goes back to how we started of, you know, keeping it simple and how simple is simple and kind of stripping it away, making it the, the core functionality as tight and simplistic, easy to use as possible, and then start growing from there and build off of that. Yeah. And it's not easy to do, by the way. Like no, 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 it's very hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's much harder to do it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if I could give you guys all power uh, and you could innovate, just, you know, snap your fingers, innovate one thing in the industry, what would you guys choose to, to tackle to innovate? Oh man, that's a good question. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say teleportation, actual teleportation. <laughs> I'm thinking big here. Like if you could get, I think so much of construction that is tough is just, I mean, I'm not breaking any news here. It's moving stuff from point A to point B. And I mean, um, on, the, on the site itself and also just throughout the supply chain. Um, you know, if you could just get the materials, uh, so much of it is just logistics, right? And that's how schedules get all crammed up and screwed up is, uh, well, we can't do anything because the tiles are not in the laydown yard. So, sorry, you know, yeah. just being able to like, a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah, sorry. I'm thinking Star Trek level here, innovation. So I don't know, Adam, do you have something? Hey, I, I love it. I've asked a lot of people that question and nobody has thought that big and I am yeah. all for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> if he's going teleportation i'm going magic wand i'll go harry potter on you, you no, but uh no i i think there's um you know one thing that's been out there a while and i i keep thinking it's close is augmented reality um I, you know it's one thing to know what's what's there with images and photos it's another thing to know what's supposed to be there while you're out in the field mm -hmm. and there, there's a lot of potential there Nobody's been able to quite figure out how to lock it in. I mean, you can lock it in at first, but as soon as you start to move, it starts to float. So, but I see a lot of potential in the augmented reality. So I want somebody to figure that out. I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to go from Star Trek to a little bit closer at hand. I think <laughs> um, that would be fabulous. Like these augmented reality and mixed reality systems. Um, I think Adam hit on something. There just haven't been quite easy enough to use are just kind of a little annoying and that's enough to be like screw it and so you know it's nice to know that companies like apple who have a you know a very high bar on whether something is worth them launching are like thinking about this because i think not everything they do works by the way you may we may remember or may not remember their whole force touch thing remember on iphones where if you press a little harder it would do something it's gone like, yeah, yeah no one used that so they don't bat a thousand but um I feel like if they're working on this, then there's a chance that, you know, we and we in construction and development could, could benefit from it. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like we're so close there on that front, but we've been so close for a while. Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> sooner or I, later, it has to just cross over <laughs> and edge out. But <laughs> did a bunch of pilots uh, and every time it's like, it seems so promising. It's like, ah, no, this isn't ready. You know, it, it, it's, it's right on the yeah. fence there. It's about to tip, but hopefully soon. Someday. Well, how do people find out more information on open space 
and connect with either of you? Yeah, so openspace.ai is our website. If you want to learn more about us, you can just email info at openspace.ai. Um, and I think the best place, honestly, if you want to see what we're up to is LinkedIn. Just find us on LinkedIn. You just type in openspace.ai and follow us. Um, you see a lot of our news and what our, most importantly, what our customers are doing, which is probably a lot more valuable than the stuff that we're putting out there ourselves. Um, and you can find me there too. Um, you know, my name is Jeevan Kalanathi. If you go to open space, you'll, I guess I should spell my name J-E-E-V-A-N is my first name. That should be enough information for people to hunt me down. Same, same for me. I'm not on Instagram or Twitter. So LinkedIn is uh, the place to find me. S-E-T-T-I, you know. <laughs> awesome. Sounds hard. good. Well, final question for you both. What does innovation mean to you? I'll tackle that one first, Adam, I guess. And to me, uh, I, I think people think about it in these like spaceships and robots kind of way, which is cool and great. I like that stuff, definitely. Um, but to me, it's just um, identifying a new way to do something that you need to do. Um, and that new way is better along some axis. Generally, it means it's faster or easier and more efficient Sometimes it means it's more fun like that. That is an innovation can, can be true as well. Um, I think that's most of it. The other part is identifying a totally new activity period that seems worth doing. That happens too. That's pretty rare that people happen on some new thing that is like, oh, now we humans want to do this new thing that we haven't thought of before. Like uh, probably whoever invented the film projector in movies, that's an example of that. But I think the bulk of it and the, a lot of value we can bring is just, yeah, finding faster, better, cheaper, easier ways to, to do things that we have to do. Um, anyways, to keep our civilization humming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's a perfect answer. I would agree with that. Um, I think it's, yeah, pushing the boundaries, being curious to try new things um, and look at other industries. We talked about manufacturing a lot but there's other industries i don't think laser scanning started in manufacturing it probably mm -hmm. started you know in the medical field or somewhere else in uh you know in something else and now it's on the construction site um so it's kind of exactly what jeevan said just trying to find things that can improve what you're doing today so you can be a little better tomorrow um and those might not be big things like i said take those small wins and those small wins will turn into bigger wins and same thing with innovation you know when i Started that department, I'd you know start with the MEP coordination and the um, you know 3D logistics type stuff, but it wasn't too far along before laser scanning drones in the skies using stuff like open space um, and all the fun stuff came into play. So that's what I would say. Nice, awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join us, both of you. Uh, this was a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, there's no need to overcomplicate things. Simple is always better. I know this is easier said than done. However, with some intentional focus on the goal to simplify, you will be able to achieve just that. Second take, it is so important to get different perspectives early and often. If people are involved in the planning, they are much more likely to be bought in during adoption. And final take, 
We need to democratize innovation throughout the company and encourage finding and bubbling up those small 1% improvements. When you are able to stack 1% improvements on each other, you will be amazed the distance you can go. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.